From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. They built ShowTheSafeties.com for me, and if you haven't signed the petition for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, please do so. Okay, let's go ahead and get to this episode. This is going to be a little bit at the very beginning of further thoughts about the state of the program and a few things that came up over the course of the week uh, before moving into the Wake Forest preview. So we'll do the first part first. So in going back through the game against Jacksonville State, it's really hard not to focus on those last couple plays, particularly the last one. And many of you uh, at this point have seen via social media and otherwise, and I posted up a video uh, through Patreon as well uh, that looked at all of this. Uh, many of you have noticed that what Mike Norvell said in the post game about what they were in, in terms of the coverage being cover two man, which is an okay call. It's not the call I would prefer in that situation, but it's an okay call in that situation but about them being in cover two man and having blown that coverage uh, leading to the, to the touchdown, that that actually wasn't true. And that to me is actually pretty concerning, but we'll, we'll address that in a moment. Turns out that they were in, when you, when you look at the tape, they were in robber. Now, just so you know, robber, for those of you who are not as aware of this, robber is a single safety in the middle of the field defense where you've got one safety who's responsible for deep zones You've got your two corners who are going to play outside leverage. They're going to play basically a match cover cover three type thing so that if everybody goes vertical, you're going to have a three deep defense with the corners playing outside leverage, trying to funnel things into the middle of the field. And then your other safety often might start on the, on the hash or something, but he's going to step forward and he's going to try to take the intermediate middle. This is a good coverage. This was actually the base coverage during the Mickey Andrews years where they would play Jet Robber as the default uh, with a little bit more true man on the outside at times, but it would be, but basically you'd have a robber, uh, the, the, the rover would typically drop, drop inside and, and rob the middle of the field while you had the free safety dropping, dropping deep. This is pretty typical. This is a normal coverage, but it is by no means a typical coverage. It's not the normal coverage that you would play on an end of game scenario in that situation. It is, to be honest, a shocking call that I've been asked a number of times, you know, in conversation and otherwise, like, what, can you explain to me what they were doing? Why, why would they make this call? What were they thinking? And my response to that is I have no good explanation. I have no idea what would have to go through your head to make that call in that situation other than Maybe he's convinced that they're going to try to go for the first down and then a final play and he's gambling that, you know, they're going to try to take stuff away at the sticks. But to me, that is such an indefensible defensive call in that situation where there's literally only one thing that can beat you and that's a, a long touchdown. And that's the only thing you should be focused on, on, uh, that's the only thing that you that you should that you should focus on uh, uh, preventing in that situation. You're, if they if they throw for a first down and then they end up calling timeout or something, 
that's great. You just end up live to see another play. I, I, I just, to me, that's just inexcusable, indefensible, not to just have basically a, a four deep or a five deep situation and say, you can complete anything inside of 20 yards. And if you complete anything further down the field than 20 yards, well, the, the game's over anyway. We're just going to make the tackle. I mean, to me, that it's such an obvious thing. So not only was, as we discussed in the postgame uh, immediate aftermath in the hot takes episode, not, not only was it a an inexcusably bad bit of execution, it was even, actually, I would say an even worse call by the, by the defensive staff. And that really does, it's not just the defensive staff there. This is something that the head coach can overrule. The head coach can hear that on the phones and be like, no, 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 no. And the thing is, it's one thing to have called it on fourth down and then, you know, I guess you make one mistake, but they also called the same call on third and 10. It was the exact same call and the exact same receiver was open. He was more open on third down and, and, and Jacksonville state staff obviously saw it from the boot, from the box and said, let's try it again. If we're lucky, they'll be in the same coverage and we'll be able to run by him and might have a shot here. And Florida state's defense, defensive staff, saw the same thing and then said, yeah, let's dial up the same thing. I I don't understand that at all. But the other thing is for Norvell to have said in the press conference that they were in two man. I'm not honestly sure what the benefit of not telling the truth about that particular coverage or about that particular call is. First of all, you, you, you have to know in today's era you're going to get called out for that. Somebody's going to be able to recognize that that's not the coverage. Somebody's going to be able to say, mm, yeah, I saw this more clearly and it's, that was not the call. So that's number one. Why, why, why not say the truth? Why, why, why not tell the truth in, uh, in the press conference and just deal with that rather than say something else. Now, if he didn't know what the cut, co- what the call was, that that's another problem, but, in any case, that that's something that's concerning to me as I look at just in terms of how you handle these kinds of things and handle problems and handle the program. That's that's concerning to me. Uh, I, I would want to see somebody come in and say, yep, we called this. This was a really bad call on our part, and we didn't put our guys in the best situation. We didn't execute it, and we'll, we need to do better. Which he basically said, but he, but, but saying, but saying that they were in one coverage when they were another in another, I think is, is, is not, not ideal uh, because it does imply that the players actually blew the coverage as opposed to, yeah, they, they didn't execute it as well as they needed to, but they were also not put in, in the best position to win there. Uh, I also highlighted in another video on Patreon, the poor effort on that play from several players and you know, I've been asked about this as well. Like, you know, what, what's, what's going on here? Well, to me, I think it's, it's one of those things where when you have a situation like that, where the play, where the, where a pass is completed downfield like that, and it's a kind of, oh shoot moment. I think the tendency of pretty much all human beings is to turn into a spectator at that moment. So for those of you who played basketball or, or other sports or soccer, you know, these sorts of things, you're taught to always run, to always chase, no matter what. Even if, you know, if there's a breakaway layup or something in basketball, whether you're on offense or defense, you're supposed to run to the rim just in case the guy misses the layup. 
And lots of people just don't do that because it's just easy to be like, well, you know, uh, there you go. And you just kind of walk up the floor and you save your energy rather than sprinting to the to the rim to try to, you know, grab the rebound or basically do something, even if it, even if you're not in position to to defend the play. The thing is, that's the instinct. That's that's natural human instinct, especially when you're tired. But you have to coach that out of your players. That has to be coached out, and you have to do that every day, every play. Demand that you have the habit of not becoming a spectator. So I'll give you an example from when I I was coaching wide receivers uh, for first year, a couple year, a few years back. Uh, I took over at a, at a school that had won three games in the prior two years, and I don't think they'd scored over twenty points in the in the prior two years as well. Uh, and we we basically were brought in to, to fix their offense and. One of the things that that happened early on, it was in a uh, in a jamboree uh, to some degree, but then especially in our first game, one of the things that I brought to the table as a wide receiver coach in that context and passing game coordinator was I demanded that my receivers give a specific effort on every play. And they didn't realize how far that went until they they their grades came in after the first game. And they didn't realize that, I, and I told them, but they didn't really kind of realize what it would mean that I would bring a college style grading system to what they did. And they got done with that first game and they realized that when there was a run play, let's say a, a sweep right or you know a speed option right, the wide receiver on the far left who's over by the sideline, you know, the tendency is to just kind of trot off the line of scrimmage, maybe, you know, give a a wave to the corner there and then just sort of walk across walk as the as the play finishes over on the right side of the field. I graded that as a loaf, which it is. It's a low effort play. And I I kept track of all the loafs. And they weren't used to that, especially since in my, uh, in my disciplinary system, every loaf meant, and I can't remember if it was, I, I think it was 10 up downs, right? So I had players come in and they had 30 loafs on the game because they were on the opposite side and they didn't think that they had anything to do there. So they just kind of get stuck watching. And so guess what? That's 300 up downs. I don't know if any of you have done 300 up downs before, but it's unpleasant. And they, you know, were shocked. Like, well, but coach, I'm on the other, like, I got nothing to do there. Like, no, 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 no. Your job is to sprint at that safety on the backside. We've talked about this. Your job is to find a guy to block. And if that happens to cut back or if the, if the back is going up the sideline, you might be the difference between a, between a touchdown and something else, right? So you've got to get there, even if it only happens once all year that the back makes a play where you end up in position to block there, that one time is the difference between a touchdown and not. So if you don't do that, you're going to have to do a lot of up-downs this season. That was my rule. In that first game, I had, I think, um, actually, I just pulled it up. I have I had 53 total loafs that first game. One player with with 28, two players with 12. Those guys, you know, you know how many how many loafs I had the second game? I can guarantee you it wasn't 53. Those guys learned real quick. That second game, all of a sudden those guys were were out there busting their butt on the backside. And you know, I'm looking at now we had a total of 
14, 15 loaves the second game. Third game, it was down in the single digits. And by, the, by, the mid, by midseason, it was rare to have a guy with more than, let's say, two or three loaves in a game. Because you have to coach that out of guys. And you do that by holding them accountable. Even on plays that it, it's meaningless. Even in, in, see, in college, you, can do, you do this every day. You grade everything every day. And because you got, you got cameras on every, on every segment, on every play. Unlike in high school, unless you're at a really wealthy high school. Which we definitely weren't. But that's what you have to do. You have to coach that out. And it becomes a habit to, okay, I've got to sprint to wherever the ball is at, no matter what. I'm going to find a way to be to be there. And it's concerning to me that that's not what I saw in this game, at the end of the game, on the play that mattered most. That I saw guys where, again, this was the Mickey Andrews philosophy. This was what Chuck Amato and Mickey Andrews emphasized for so long, is, look, you may be out of position. You may not be the most talented, which in general, generally they were the most talented, but you may, you may not have made the play here or there, but what you can do is give 100% effort all the time. You can play with your hair on fire and absolutely sell yourself out to make whatever play you're at. And we should have 11 guys around the football on every play. That was the emphasis, and that's why those defenses were so good. That was the, the number one reason why those defenses were so good. I mean, talent helped. But a lot of teams have talent and don't become as good as those Mickey Andrews defenses were. But they took so much pride in helmets to the football and, and 11 guys in the screen when the guy goes down on every play. That's something they've got to figure out how to get in this current program. you got to do that. Absolutely have to do that. Now, before I move into the, the second part of this analysis or this uh, discussion of where the program's at and a few things from the, the first two games, I want to thank Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Listen, lots of real estate agents are basically people who were well-connected in high school, maybe the good-looking people, whatever, not really the best at what they do, but you know they've got the name and, and some connections to kind of be able to live a cush life. That's not Lewis. Lewis is one of the best in the business anywhere. He's the best in the business out there, works his tail off, and he adds value. If you list your home with him, he, his photography and videography skills alone and ability to stage your, your property add value. So let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast if you need anything real estate oriented in the Jacksonville area. So the second thing I want to talk about is the Milton and Travis situation. And, and this is really, to some degree, a situation where, you know, the old saying is, if you've got two quarterbacks, you have none. And the question is, what, what are you trying to do offensively, to some degree? And I, I'm not sure they have a, a, a clear identity right now. But really, what you're dealing with with these two guys is, what kind of balance do you want on offense? I mean, Travis, the benefit of Travis is that he, he might, be, might still be the best running back on the team. And he forces defense to, defenses to account for his ability to run in the running game. They've got, to, they've got to account for an extra gap, essentially, because the quarterback can really run. So that opens some things up in the running game. It does give you some chances down the field for him to p potentially be able to hit. Sort of, you, you saw this against Notre Dame on, that, uh, on that, uh, that slot fade that they completed for a big play. That's a situation where 
That's a coverage that you get. The one to Ja'Kai Douglas, that's the coverage that you get when a team doesn't respect your, your quarterback's arm. So, you know, that gives you some opportunities there. Milton, on the other hand, gives you a different kind of balance. He forces teams to account for the downfield throw a lot more. Teams are going to respect his ability to throw. And he gives you a little bit more balance in that area. So do you do you prefer balance in terms of running and, and, and throwing? Do you prefer the ability to do a bit more in the RPO game? These sorts of things because Milton can throw it better and more accurately than Travis and certainly is uh, faster and more, more accurate in the RPO game, faster getting it out. And again, RPO does not mean the quarterback is running. Generally speaking, RPO means quarterback is handing the ball off or throwing it. So if you're, you're, your best RPO uh, quarterbacks are guys that not necessarily can run, but they're guys that make quick decisions and get the ball out. That's what Milton brings to the table. So what do you, what, where are you going to get the most bang for your buck in terms of providing balance for the run-heavy team that you have to be with the personnel that you've got? And then, of course, you've got the leadership questions and building for the future. What kind of offense are you going to be in the future? Lots of those things. This is a hard decision, and I think ultimately you need both quarterbacks as they as you go through the uh, through the season. It's pretty simple there. So that's where I think think you are. I think it's easier as a as a as a coach. It's easier, especially in Norvell's system, which has a complex passing game. It's if you have a Milton who's who's executing at, at a decent level, I think that that's an obvious choice. But. So far, they've not been able to get the offense, the, the the pass offense clicking, and that's really the, the the thing that they need to do in order to get where they need to be. So I can see why right now they're going with Milton, but it's also really hard because Travis is a guy who's been around a long time, has the trust of some of his teammates, and yeah, I think you, you're going to need to play both quarterbacks at different points and find find ways to incorporate both kinds of balance in your in your offense. With that, we're going to go ahead and move into the Wake Forest preview. And this part of the preview is brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. Best in the business in the research triangle. Nobody will out-research her and nobody will outwork her as well. I'm proud to have two real estate agents who really are unusual in how hard they work and and the kind of value that they bring to the table for their uh, for their customers for their clients give shen a call if you are in the research triangle area and you have any real estate needs let her know you heard about her from the unconquered podcast so when we're talking about wake forest this is a this is a difficult evaluation for the 2021 wake forest team because they haven't played anybody and they haven't had to show anything they basically had two glorified scrimmages against one of the two or three worst FBS teams in the country in Old Dominion, a team that didn't play last year. I mean, you're talking about a team that's right there with with uh, UMass, who's on Florida, the Fighting Walt Bells, who are on Florida State schedule later this year in their first game, and then uh, the second game against Norfolk State, not a top shelf by any stretch of the imagination FCS team. So they've basically been able to do whatever they wanted in those games, or at least you would think so. And uh, and so you, you you kind of wind up looking back at last year's Wake Forest team, which is very similar in terms of personnel. 
and you say, okay, is this basically what you have? But again, those guys went through a season last year. They've they're, they're one further season in, they've got a, another spring under their belt and they lost a couple of really key contributors, including their best defensive lineman who, who is no longer eligible. You know, he, he graduated and moved on and their number one or number two wide receiver depends on where you put him in that Donovan green, who they lost to injury. So this is a team that they've, you, you can look at what they were in 2020 and kind of extrapolate. That's kind of what you have to do is you have to extrapolate and say, okay, they're likely to be a little bit better in these areas because of being a, a bit more veteran laden. They're probably not going to be as good in these areas because of injury or personnel losses. And you just kind of have to project there. It's almost like looking at them in an opener because you can't really look at a whole lot of what they did in those first two games. Although I did, and, and we'll talk about a few of those things as we go, go forward. I'm going to start with the Wake Forest defense against the Florida State offense, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, about some of the things that I saw and some of the things that they um, that they that they bring to the table. So, interesting thing to me is what I've seen of them in Old Dominion and Norfolk State is I saw a team that actually gave up some early rushing yards to Old Dominion uh, and some early yardage as well to uh, to Norfolk State in terms of what they were doing up front at the point of attack. They actually got pushed around at times, even by, uh, by old dominion, which surprised me. They're, they're very clearly fairly young on the, on the, uh, on the edges. They're not very big about 255 on each edge, about 290 in the middle. And they're going to rely on trying to get a lot of penetration. That's, that's what they did last year. That's how they, how they've, uh, how they've worked the last few years as Clawson has built this program in his, in his image in that sense, they're kind of moving in the direction or Florida State's kind of moving in the direction that they are. They want to be a little bigger than, than Wake is, but basically Wake wants to have guys that get penetration on the defensive line more than guys that are that are really big guys. And they're going to try to win with quickness up front, but they're not super old. They're not a bunch of veterans as much up front or they're not as as veteran as Wake Forest often is up front. And. Like I said, I I felt like against Old Dominion at times they they didn't they did get pushed around a little bit, which was surprising. And to me, I look at a team that did struggle defensively in 2020. I mean, they were young in the secondary; they were not good last year. Second half of the year, they got absolutely shelled defensively. And the question is, how much of a step forward from that the secondary has taken? How much of a step forward from that overall the defense has taken? I don't think this is a team, again, this is a Clawson-Wake Forest team. You're not going to see a team that's going to go out there and just bust assignments. They're going to force you to beat them. But I think this team, defensively, is a team that can be beaten physically. They're, they're not super talented. I mean, again, it's a Wake Forest team, and they're, they're kind of stereotypical on this. They're not a big team. They are a team that, again, when you look at Norfolk State and you look at Old Dominion being able to hold their own up front, that says something. So to me, if I'm Florida State, I come into this game ready to run the ball 50 plus times if I have to. Don't do what you did against Jacksonville State and give Corbin and Ward 23 total carries. In this game, I think what you have to do is you have to see early, can you mash them? Can you mash them up front? Can you get a body and a body? Give your backs a chance to, to make plays and win at the point of attack? And can you then 
play action and go downfield for some big plays in the passing game as you're setting that up? Can you package some of that with RPOs to take advantage of how they're having to really sell out to stop the run because you're mashing them? I think that's what you have to do in this game. Florida State is the bigger team here by a good bit. And run blocking, even though they've struggled in in pass blocking at different points, run blocking has been a strength this year. And again, they were averaging, what, Corbin was seven yards a carry, over seven yards a carry, and Ward was just under six yards a carry against Jacksonville State. And they lost that game. You can't lose games when 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 your two primary backs are averaging well over five yards a carry. You've got to go ahead and just keep giving them the rock. I think that's what you have to do in this game. Now, the problem is, of course, that Florida State's offensive line is basically a mash unit at this point, which is exactly what couldn't happen at the beginning of the year. I mean, they, they you're not going to have Maurice Smith at center, likely not going to have Robert Scott, your left tackle. So you're, you're down two offensive linemen and two, maybe probably the two most important offensive linemen. So, yeah, that's not good. Offensive guard Dante Lucas is, of course, now in the transfer portal and is no longer on the roster. I honestly don't think that that is a, a serious loss. Yes, one of the more physically talented guys on your roster, but also a guy that has consistently put you in first and 15, second and 20 type situations more than anybody else on the roster. And you just can't have that in the current situation. And to be honest, for me, this is addition by subtraction at this point. I uh, wish him the best of luck as he goes wherever he's going to go. But that does mean you you have less depth and you've got some guys that are not as physically ready to play that are basically in line to play or to have to play if there's any other uh, any other issues here. So nevertheless, I still think Florida State being the bigger team here, being a team that has really become a run first team with run blocking as a, as a core emphasis there. I think you have to see if you can push this Wake Forest team around. And you have to commit to running the ball from a variety in a variety of different ways, especially early in this game, and see if you can if you can get to the punch there. Can you beat them to the punch? Can you punch them in the mouth and and maybe push them around a little bit and give your backs a chance to to make some plays, make some big plays getting into the secondary? I think that's what you've got to do. Now in the passing game. I said in the preseason podcast that I thought this was a year that that was that would violate my usual warning that you're not going to see freshman wide receivers contribute immediately. And I thought McLean would be by say the final third of the season be the number 1 receiver on this team. He might be wide receiver 1 by that late. To be totally honest, I think he probably needs to be your number 1 wide receiver now from what I've seen. There's just no benefit to playing the older guys over him right now. He's blocking better than those guys are. He's more consistent. He gives you a, a deep threat and, and, a, and a vertical threat that some of the other guys are not. The effort is there consistently. I think McLean needs to be the starter at the outside at that outside wide receiver at the nine position. And he needs to be on the field more often than not. And this is where I think you can potentially, again, make some hay against a, a Wake secondary that, that gave up some serious plays last year. I think McLean is, is going to be physically better than the guys he's up against at, at corner. Can you, once you start running it on him a little bit, can you 
get some back shoulder fades? Can you get some vertical routes to a guy like McLean that can that can get you some big plays and get you in uh, that can, can get you some chunks? I think that's something that they can do. Again, that's what the offense needs to do here. I I use a lot of uh, multi tight end stuff against this team as well. Again, I just don't think Wake Forest has a ton of size to be able to put out there. And I think this is a team, this is a game where the more you can mash them, the better and have McLean out there as, as the main wide receiver in those contexts so that you can hit them vertically if they're really matching that compressed kind of formation. So that's what I would do. Uh, I think that's what you have to do. Now, all that said, they, they did give up 3.53 yards per play on the hole against ODU. They did lock them down uh, for the the second part of the game, basically, for the, the final three quarters, really. And, on, and only 4.8 yards per play against Norfolk State. Those are both very respectable, maybe a little higher than what you'd like against Norfolk State, given given them being an FCS team. But Florida State doesn't have any uh, anything any room to talk there. I think Florida State can average and should average over six yards per, per play in this game. I, I think they should be in the like 6.5 yards per play range at the end of this game. That's, 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 that's sort of your above that is a success area. I think they need to be in that range. We'll go ahead and move over to the Florida State defense against the Wake Forest offense. But before I do that, I want to thank Garage Makeovers, the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. If you're in the Broward or Palm Beach County area and you have any needs or you just want your garage to be the envy of your neighbors or you just want organization, you just want to make sure that, you know, you got kids, you want to make sure that you have things organized so that your life isn't constantly a mess in there. You want to be able to get your car in there, that sort of thing. Give the biscuit a call. Let them know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So uh, looking at what Wake Forest does offensively. Sam Hartman is really the straw that stirs the drink. He's going to be a guy that is going to feel like he's been there for an eternity by the time he graduates. But he threw for 400 plus multiple times last year. He's a tough guy and he's accurate. He's a guy that I would take for as Florida State's starting quarterback right now. No question. And they've got a nice receiving core to pair with him. Definitely some size on the outside. Uh, you, you look at this, you've got... Uh, Led by six foot one, uh, Jaquari Roberson, really good player, uh, was their sort of one A or one B last year uh, with Green, with Donovan Green, who uh, wound up being wound up getting hurt in the in the preseason. So that really that does really impact them. But they still replace him with At Perry, a six five wide receiver who's more of that vertical threat. You have to be aware of him, particularly as you get to the red zone. You're going to need to commit some attention to him for some of the back shoulder stuff and the, and the over-the-top stuff, the jump balls, dig routes, that sort of thing. Your big receiver stuff. Both those guys can play. And Florida State's corners are going to need to win some one-on-one matchups against those guys. And the real question coming into this game for me is can Florida State secondary make a play for once? Are they just going to force teams to earn their earn their plays and you know oops well i guess got to tip your cap once again or are they actually going to make a play that i think is going to be one of the things that determines this game now beal smith is a quality back he's not a super explosive guy i mean he he's had a couple long runs but really those long runs are the result of 
competition, I think. You look at him and he's not a guy you expect to take off for 60, 70 yards against a defense that can run. But he will get you consistent chunks of four and five and six yards. Quality back. And they got a couple others behind him that can play. Now, they don't do as much of that really funky long mesh point as they used to, but they still do a lot of RPO stuff with a little bit longer mesh than normal. And they do a lot of stuff that still relies on basically giving their backs or Hartman time relies on patience to create seams. Uh, One thing that I saw them do a decent amount against uh, ODU in particular was they ran duo where you have a double team on both defensive tackles and then you're single blocking the end on each side with your tight end on the one side and with one of the tackles on the other. That's a, that's a play that Florida state should be able to take away. You can't Florida state's ends cannot let, cannot let themselves be single blocked in that context. And the defensive tackles should be able to handle those. They, they need to be able to handle those double teams. Duo, by the way, is a, is a common play. If you go back to the Steelers, for example, with um, Le'Veon Bell, those plays where Le'Veon Bell is sort of sitting in the backfield, waiting, 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 and then hits a seam, that was usually on duo. They were doing the same kind of thing in the uh, in, in in at Wake Forest. They'll do the same kind of thing. They'll run duo, which is kind of like a zone, but you're double teaming both tackles uh, quite a bit run a lot of zone. They run some bash back away read concepts. So the, the, the running back is running wide or a, a jet sweep running wide with an inside run from the quarterback or someone else uh, along uh, on to the opposite side. So these are the sorts of things that they do a lot of. They're a team that demands that you have a lot of gap integrity and they're basically relying on you to sort of sit tight, sit tight, sit tight, and then they want to hit where a seam wherever somebody gets just slightly out of place. So you have to be really good defensively in staying in your gap and making sure that you don't get too far upfield or too far too wide in trying to get penetration because that's where they'll that's where they'll they'll hit you. So you've got to you've got to get penetration while staying really disciplined in your gap. Uh, with your gap integrity. And in some cases you'll sacrifice a little bit of penetration in order to maintain that gap integrity and just keep things stacked up. Now, if Florida state's defensive tackles and defensive ends can get penetration without forfeiting their positioning, that will really go a long way toward winning this game because that, that basically cuts at what wake forest wants to do in the running game. And what they're trying to do there with all those double teams and with the way that they try to do this is basically compensate for not being as big or physical on the offensive line as a lot of the teams that they're playing. And I think this is, again, this is a case where I watched their offensive line. There were a few, there were times where they they had linemen getting their butts kicked by ODU and Norfolk state. I mean, had a left guard on one, uh, one key play got ragdolled by ODU's defensive tackle. That shouldn't happen, but it did. Can Florida State's defensive tackles do the same thing? I think they can. They need to be able to do it play in, play out. Now, with their running game, they also run, they pair it with a bunch of RPOs. So a lot of, uh, a lot of run calls where Hartman will pull it and throw it right over the top of your backer, that sort of thing. They're, they're trying to put your, your second level defenders in conflict, again, to 
cause problems with your eye discipline and your gap discipline and all sorts of different things. They're going to they're going to try to uh to minimize how much you can actually be confident in what you're doing and just come downhill against the run. So and they do this with those big bodied wide receivers who basically will post up against the against the the, the corners and and such that they're against and it's a big target for uh, for Hartman, and they cause a lot of problems with this. So this is an area where you've got to be able to disrupt those guys with tight coverage, with some jam at the line of scrimmage. You've got to be able to game them with some defenders, undercutting from opposite side of the formation, do different things like that when you feel like they're they're going to be pulling in that RPO game. Maybe try to get a turnover that way. Uh, some teams have have really started doing a lot of that, and, and it'll be interesting to see if Florida State's able to do that sort of thing against this kind of uh, Wake Forest offense. Now, they also play at a very fast pace. They do want to exhaust your defense. That's a big concern in this game because Florida State's not a team with a ton of depth. So, I mean, I think Florida State's defensive tackles can win this game. I think they can they can dominate the edge with their defensive ends. It's not a, as veteran an offensive line as Wake Forest has had in the past. And, and again, they got pushed around even early on at times by ODU. But... It's one thing to do that in the first quarter, it's second quarter, third quarter. It's another thing to do that all game. And will Florida State be able to hold up depth-wise? Or will they give up some key plays late in the game as they as they have the first couple weeks? So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Now, they averaged 5 yards, 5.03 and 6.88 yards per play against ODU and Norfolk State. Those actually aren't phenomenal numbers against that competition, and to me, I think Florida State needs to hold them below about five and a half yards per play. And I think they will. I think it's going to be around 5.3 yards per play. Somewhere in that, you know, 5.3 to 5.5 yards per play range is what they should have. Because again, I don't think that this is a team that's going to, that, that's going to have a bunch of explosive plays on you. If Wake Forest does have a bunch of explosive plays against this, against this defense, then Florida State's going to get blown out. And I, I, but I think Florida State's going to handle their offensive line. I think there's, I think it's going to be one of those games where, by and large, Wake is not going to have a ton of success moving the ball up and down the field. And I think Florida State, given what they're going to be able to do or what they should be able to do with their defensive line in this game, they should be able to play more nickel and dime to get some speed on the field, so that they don't give up those big plays. And and they've got some players in those nickel packages that that can still tackle. So that you can you can have some some nice uh, uh, run support while still trying to take away the the pass uh, against what Wake Forest does and against their personnel packages. So to me, you play primarily nickel. You don't give up big plays and you let your defensive defensive line win at the point of attack, and you've got your best shot. And I I think Florida State should be able to do all those things. Will they? I don't know because so much of of this game is going to be contingent on the kind of effort that we see from Florida State. Is this team going to be the same team that we saw against Notre Dame, playing with that level of passion and the defense playing with their hair on fire there? Are they going to be able to do that? Are they going to be able to sustain that? Or is this team a team that still has a lot of loser blood and quit in it? And I think the, the answer is sort of both. Which one are we going to see? And I think this is one of those things where I wouldn't be surprised to see Florida State overwhelm Wake physically and win by 21. 
I, I think that's totally plausible. I look at these matchups. I look at the way that the two two teams stack up at a variety of different spots. And I say, you know, Florida State should win both lines of scrimmage. Yeah, even the offensive line against Wake's defensive line. They should win up there. But at the same point, you got Hartman, who's a really good quarterback. You've got, you know, so much loser blood that has still not filtered out and enough quit in this team that if things don't go right early, Florida State could totally collapse and lose by 21 or more. So much in this in this game to me depends on how the game begins. How's the first quarter go? If Florida State can come out of the first quarter, say up seven, 10 points with some momentum and a positive feeling, I think they could front run their way to a, a pretty significant win. But I think this is a fragile group. And I think if Wake comes out of the first couple drives up, say, seven to three or 10 to nothing or whatever, 10 to nothing after, say, the first three drives, it's going to be really hard for Florida State to overcome that because I think you're going to see, you're going to start seeing a lot of, a lot of doubts and questions. And this is a team that can't play that way. They've got to, they've got to believe in themselves. And at some point, you've got to succeed. You've got to win to really, have the buy-in sort of locked in this team bought in to Mike Norvell and his staff. They bought in, but those two losses. And again, you're looking at one conversion and one field goal, you know, one play at the end of a game and one field goal from being two and zero and really feeling great and being completely locked in to what you're at now. Winning changes so much of that. And and so the question is, are they going to be able to get enough success to where they're going to be completely locked in and bought in? Or are we going to see more doubts and questions that are the result of getting a little bit behind early? I don't know. I, I, I would not be very confident in this team responding well if they get down in this game. So this is one where if I'm Mike Norvell and his staff, I am really planning to pull out some stops in that in the, in the first quarter to make sure that I, I get a couple big plays to try to set my team up to be able to front run and to really be bought in. And I think they've basically done that. I mean, I think they cost themselves against Jacksonville State by preparing extra, extra for this one. They knew in the, in, in the preseason that this was going to be a critical game. <laughs> now they better make it at least somewhat worth it. And as a result, I think this game may well be the hinge point for the Mike Norvell regime in Tallahassee, which it seems ridiculously early to say that, but it does seem like that in terms of the importance of this game. If you see this team come out and play with passion and win and put put Wake Forest away, well, you know, maybe that gives them enough momentum to to carry into the next into the remainder of the schedule and 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 make a bowl. They won't make a bowl if they lose this game. And the, you know, proof of concept that they're trying to get to be able to land the recruits that they've, that they've got committed, that's going to be really hard to sustain if you lose this game. So I think that's where things are. I mean, yeah. So now we come to the point of, of predictions and, and projection. And this is a really hard game to project. I mean, obviously turnovers are, are going to be critical in this game. I, you can't really project those a bunch. I mean, Wake doesn't turn it over a bunch. So the question is, will Florida State do it? I don't know. I do think that this is a game where I, I might circle something as this being a, a game where a key special teams play plays a role. And particularly given some of Florida State's speed on the kickoff unit, don't be surprised if you see an, an, a really big kickoff return uh, make a difference in this game. 
that's something that I think I'm kind of circling as a, as a, as a factor here. But all told, I think this game's basically a coin flip. But I got to make a choice, and I feel kind of crazy doing this, but I'm going to pick a back-against-the-wall Florida State to win this game. I've got Florida State winning this game 27-23 in a game where Florida State goes up early and withstands a late charge by Wake Forest, and I think a a key special teams play, maybe a a kick return or something like that, is ultimately going to be the difference. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>